Today on Blue 58, the Packers thoroughly dismantled the Los Angeles Rams, moving them within one game of the Super Bowl. How did it happen? What did the Packers do well? And where did they go from here? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Feeling a very enjoyable feeling after this game. Satisfaction. Few times in the regular season, I was reflecting on that this week. Few times this regular season, after wins, we talked about feeling underwhelmed. The Jaguars game in particular comes to mind. Yes, the Packers won, but man, it, it sure didn't feel good. Well, this one the Packers won, and it feels pretty darn good. All week long, we heard about the mighty Rams defense. Jalen Ramsey shutting down Devontae Adams. Aaron Donald tearing through the middle of the Packers' offensive line. Their running game carving up the Packers. Okay, that one kind of happened a little bit. But none of the Packers' fears came to pass. Maybe more accurately, none of the national media's fears came to pass. And I'm feeling especially good about this one because... For what feels like the very, very first time, everything worked out exactly how I thought it was going to. feels a little scary, actually, because prior to this game, we said the Packers could win if they did three things well. Pre-snap motion, a lot of play action, and attacking the middle of the Rams' offensive line. If they did those three things, they could win by, I think I said, between 7 and 14, and probably closer to 14. Well, they scored a touchdown where Devontae Adams went in motion. They scored a touchdown on a deep shot play-action pass. Sidarius Smith got a sack up the middle. Kenny Clark, working exclusively in the middle, got a sack and a half. It was all there, and it all worked. And lest I pat myself on the back too hard here, let's point out that one of the big things that I wanted to say in the preview podcast was that these things were fairly obvious. The Rams were not great against play-action passing. They were not great against tight ends. They were not great when you used pre-snap motion. They were not great when you did things out of the slot. The Packers did all of the things that allowed them to to attack the Rams' weaknesses, and they exploited them to the full. And now the Packers are headed to the NFC Championship game. Matt LaFleur put together a masterful, masterful game plan. He took advantage of everything the Rams don't do well. And now, after going 26-6 and in his first two regular seasons, Matt LaFleur is returning to the NFC Championship game, and he's bringing it to Lambeau Field for the first time since the 2007 season. Let's talk about three good things that we saw on Saturday. First and foremost, the offensive line. Aaron Rodgers called them the MVPs of this game. Hard to disagree with him. Aaron Rodgers was sacked zero times. Packers running backs, and I guess Aaron Rodgers too, averaged 5.2 yards per rushing attempt. They had one run that went for negative yardage. They controlled Aaron Donald. They controlled Leonard Floyd. They just kept Rodgers clean and opened up big old holes for the running backs. That is everything you could want from the offensive line and more, and they executed it without David Bakhtiari in the lineup. Masterful, masterful work by the offensive line by offensive line coach Adam Stenovich and his assistant Luke Butkus. Just a great, great group. 
In addition, they got plenty of help from Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Let's talk about those two just for a second because two of them have passed statistical milestones here in the postseason. Rodgers and Adams are now both the leaders in all-time postseason yardage, passing yardage and receiving yardage. Rodgers, with 296 yards against the Rams today, has 5,323 career postseason passing yards in 19 playoff starts. That beats Brett Favre's total of 5,311, which came over 22 postseason starts. Adams, meanwhile, had 66 yards and a touchdown on Saturday. That gives him 753 career receiving yards in nine, only nine postseason games. That is better than Antonio Freeman's 748, which he had in 14 playoff games with the Packers. The game plan was there again, and it worked. Rodgers got the ball to Adams in a variety of situations, and he did his level best with it uh, when he was in those situations. The first touchdown in particularly was a thing of beauty. And it's the sort of connection that's become almost routine. Uh, Daryl Johnston pointed out that it seemed to be the result of uh, just a preseason or pre-snap adjustment hand motion, something like that. I don't know if that's accurate in that instance because that seemed like a design play where they were trying to set it up so Adams could run across the formation and get into the flat. It seems like there was even a little bit of a design rub in there with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But Johnston is not incorrect in that Adams and Rodgers seem to have really, really taken their connection to another level this year. They just understand each other so well. It's to the level that Aaron Rodgers had with, I think, Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb both. Just that absolute telepathic connection. They just know what the other is doing at all times. And uh, it's incredible to watch. Finally, timely pressure. The Packers got a lot of timely pressure on Jared Goff. The time when they got this pressure was all the time. Uh, They finished with four sacks, seven quarterback hits, and apparently, uh, according to some advanced stats that I've tracked down and lost the source of, they pressured Goff on 15 of 31 throws on Saturday. Not too bad. I will take that. It was not entirely perfect for the Packers, and I don't want to spend too much time focusing on the negative here because, remember, the goal was to win the game. However they did it, it, it wouldn't matter once they were in the NFC Championship game. But a couple bumps in this road here. Special teams, oh boy, what an adventure. Cascading issues uh, from the first bad snap on the, uh, the point after try there. Crosby got hurt, uh, showed on kickoffs late, I thought, and may have factored into some decision-making late in the first half. They also allowed another big kickoff return. Tavon Austin seemed to misplay a punt. Ultimately, it didn't hurt the Packers all that much, but still, that they are still having these issues here in the divisional round of the playoffs is a huge problem for the Packers, and it could come back to bite them in either the NFC Championship game or, perish the thought, in the Super Bowl. Rushing defense. The second bad point in this game. Cam Akers ran well enough, I thought, to keep the Rams in it, For evidence of that, you need look no further than the fourth Rams drive. They take over with 325 to go in the second quarter, all the way back on their own 25-yard line. Here was their play sequence. A Cam Akers run. A Cam Akers run. A Cam Akers run. A Cam Akers run. 
a short slant, a cam-maker's run, a short pass, a short pass for a touchdown. An eight-play, 75-yard drive that took less than three minutes with eight or with five runs in eight plays. That's insane. That shouldn't happen. And yet it did. It ultimately didn't hurt the Packers enough to take them out of the game, but it's something to keep in the back of your mind. Finally, and this is the smallest of these three, but at times it seemed like the offense left some stuff on the table. Aaron Rodgers was not as sharp as we've seen him down the stretch in the season. He missed some throws. There were some completions that were off target as well. He came out and said after the game that he probably cost Marquez Valdez-Scantling a 92-yard touchdown by just airmailing a pass that he seemed to throw kind of fading off his back foot a little bit. Um, of course, we do have to add the, add the caveat that MVS may not have caught it, but in the context of the game, when MVS is having what seems to be a pretty good game, that again is a problem. And, uh, and Rodgers admitted as such. He needs to be sharper. Um, but again... I hesitate to complain about this too much because my usual lines are against a better team, something like this is going to cost you or in the playoffs that could cost you because the Packers were in the playoffs today and they were playing a pretty darn good team and it didn't cost them. That is the beauty of complimentary football, I guess. Packers defense was playing well enough that the Packers offense, when it did uh, stumble a little bit in the second half, not all that much, a little bit in the second half, it didn't, didn't hurt them. And that's, I guess, all you can really ask for heading into the NFC Championship game. Speaking of, what does this win mean? Well, it means that for the first time in his career as a starter, since he was on that 2007 team, the Packers are going to get to play the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field. They didn't get to do it in 2010. They had to travel to Chicago. They didn't get to do it in 2014. They had to go to Seattle. They didn't get to do it in 2016. They had to go to Atlanta. Now they get the Buccaneers or the Saints at Lambeau Field. But beyond that, when you really sit down and think about what this means, what is at stake here is Aaron Rodgers' legacy. At this point in his career, he is in legacy mode. He's got a Super Bowl. He's won the Super Bowl MVP. He's been the league MVP twice and probably is going to get it a third time. Next week, he has the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl for just the second time in his career. And with how the Packers are playing on offense and on defense, he's got as good a shot now as he's ever had to win a second one. He knows that this is part of his legacy. Of the elite quarterbacks I've seen in my lifetime, I think Aaron Rodgers has the best understanding of what his performance means for him, for his franchise, for how he's perceived in the context of the greats who play the game, of any of them, maybe other than Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was the other quarterback who seems to have that sort of understanding. Tom Brady in the shadow of Bill Belichick doesn't seem to have had that same sort of self-reflection. Drew Brees seems as interested in the media career that comes after his NFL career as he does playing on the field, and good for him. He's going to do a lot of great stuff on TV someday. 
Rodgers, I think, is going to be a lot different than those guys when he finally steps away. And I think he understands that. And so I think he wants to take care of his legacy. He wants to win a game like this at Lambeau Field. And it has sort of a subtext to that. He knows better than anyone how badly things ended with Brett Favre and the Packers. He is extremely conscious of that part of his career. And how he handles these last couple seasons is going to play a big role in how his eventual exit from the Packers will play out, however that ends up playing out. He wants to win it for himself. He wants to win it for the Packers. He wants to win it because that's part of how he's going to be remembered in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is in legacy mode, and next week is a legacy-defining game at Lambeau Field. So now we wait. We wait and see what happens tomorrow with Drew Brees and Tom Brady. I think right now at 9.22 p.m. on Saturday night, I think I am hoping for the Saints, but I don't really know. I think with how the Packers are playing, they can take either one. They have matched up with good defenses well after they played the Buccaneers and lost in Tampa. The Colts had a good good defense, and the Packers' offense really wasn't the problem there. The Rams had a good defense, and you see how that went. The more distance we get from it, I think that, that Buccaneers game was just sort of a burn-the-tape game. You move on and see what happens next time. And don't forget, the Rams have a pretty, or not the Rams, the Saints have a pretty darn good defense too. So, we wait and see. Whatever the case, whoever the Packers end up playing is going to be coming to Lambeau Field for the NFC Championship game with a chance to go to the Super Bowl on the line. A couple of random thoughts and observations before we let you head off into the rest of your weekend. We'll never really know how much it actually affected the game, but Aaron Donald was in and out of the lineup a lot. And I don't know their substitution patterns. Maybe that's that's typical for him. But it really seemed like he was significantly limited by his injury. He left for a few plays of the Packers' first drive and was kind of in and out from there. Seemed visibly frustrated at times. Don't like to play body language police, but he seemed like he was in a bit of a funk on the sideline. And why wouldn't you be? You got a shot to go to the NFC Championship game, and you got to deal with a nagging sort of injury. Not an injury that actually prevents you from playing, but one where you can play. You're just never going to be as good as you could possibly be. I can understand why a guy like that would be frustrated. And I can understand why he would lash out in a situation where Maybe he's getting needled during a, during the game by a guy like Elton Jenkins. That That's understandable. It's still stupid, but it's understandable. Uh, but he was in and out a lot, and the Packers certainly seemed to take advantage. One of the things that I predicted pregame was we would see a lot of the A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, uh, two running back package with Jones motioning out of the backfield a lot. We saw that a lot, actually, a lot more than I thought we would. It worked great. And I think all but that very last of uh, A.J. Dillon's carries came in those situations. So it looks like he had five carries for 27 yards uh, running from those formations. Related to that, I think A.J. Dillon's injury is going to be a sneaky big deal this week. For one, it takes away that package. It gives the It takes away the opportunity 
for the Packers to give the their to get their two most physically talented backs on the field at the same time. Packers don't have anything like AJ Dillon just sitting around waiting. Nobody else does, but I think we we need to at least spell that out. So if he can't go this week, and I haven't seen anything about his injury, unfortunately, they'll probably publish something right after I I stop recording. But uh, them's the breaks. Um, other than Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, it's a pretty thin stable at running back for the Packers. You've got Mike Weber, who's not played this year. And then you've got Dexter Williams, who last played against Tennessee. He has seven snaps on offense so far this season, has two carries for eight yards. Both of them came in the Packers' win over the San Francisco 49ers. That was the game in which it seemed like every every Packers back was in a bit of a rough situation, both A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams out uh, due to the league's COVID protocols in that one. Flipping over to defense, I think it was a bit of a mixed bag for the Packers linebackers tonight. Not bad per se, but mixed. Guys were in and out of the lineup. And I think we saw great evidence of, of how playing heavier can expose you in the passing game. Rams seem to really like a lot of those uh, short posts and slant routes. And uh, just somewhere Mike Penton was going, see, I told you, I told you playing a bunch of his safeties instead of those linebackers is a good idea. We should do that more. We should have diamond safeties on the field all the time. Uh, no, that's probably not a good idea. Uh, but there was some good stuff out there. Uh, Christian Kirksey had a big drive-ending hit. Uh, uh, Chris Barnes had a near interception and probably would have had an interception, but he was playing with a club on his hand. Kamal Martin still seems to just run around and play hard all the time. Some of the times he's in the right spot, sometimes he's not. But that is just the experience with a rookie linebacker at times. Speaking of guys running around and making plays, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had an early drop, but I think on balance, he had a pretty darn good game in this one. A lot of nice catches with his hands away from his body, and that is at times a big struggle for him. Also made a key play, lunging for the marker on that third and short play after the A.J. Dillon fumble. Interesting play there. Uh, Packers get to the line. Jamal Williams is lined up to the left of Aaron Rodgers, and I think they are in a three-by-one formation. Three receivers to the right, uh, one split out wide, to the left. Uh, and as the play clock is is winding down, Aaron Rodgers called for a, a can play. So that's, a, that's an audible where they can run a different play out of the same formation. Uh, Jamal Williams steps to Rodgers' right, and they ran a quick little bubble screen to MVS. And he had the presence of mind to, as he was being tackled, lunge forward for the first down marker, pick up a first down there on third and short. And then two plays later, Aaron Rodgers hits... Alan Lazard for that big kind of game-sealing touchdown there uh, off of play action. Just a nice all-around game for for MVS. Uh, he continues to do nice things where uh, he seems to understand where he's supposed to be on the field uh, more and more. You see him attacking zone defenses better, just kind of finds a place and sits down in a zone. I thought this was a pretty good game for him. Um, of course, he did have that drop on the first drive, but all in all, a pretty good, good play, good game for MVS. Uh, the decisive player, the one that ended any real shot of the Rams coming back, is one worth remembering. So fourth and 14 on the Rams' final drive. Uh, Zedaria Smith rushes from the interior coming in over left guard. The Rams forced to play their backup left guard in this game. That ended up being a big factor because in addition to having question marks at center, they now had question marks as guard at guard as well. So Zedaria Smith comes with an interior rush. 
the line kind of just collapses on him. He still manages to work his way through, forces Jared Goff to step up in the pocket, which on 4th and 14 is not a great place to be because it means you're moving toward the line of scrimmage. You're going to expose yourself to more rushers, and you're not going to be able to rely on your protection to allow your receivers to get depth. And what do you know? Kenny Clark and uh, Rashawn Gary are there to clean up on the sack. Game over. Packers have the ball, and they run out the clock. Finally, want to leave you with this. Do not forget this. The Packers are one win away from the Super Bowl, and that one win has to come at Lambeau Field. This is what everything from August until now is for. A shot to go to the Super Bowl. Packers made it to the playoffs, and once you get in, anything can happen. They made it in controlling their own destiny, to use that cliche, an accurate one, we should point out, and earned that home playoff game, the lone buy in the NFC. Now they've won at home, and one of two geriatric quarterbacks is going to have to come to Lambeau Field and take it away from them. The Packers might have their best shot at a Super Bowl right now, We're living it. This is what we've hoped for for months. And we're a week away from seeing if the Packers can do that. Be satisfied in this win. Enjoy it. And then get ready for the Packers to take their shot at a Super Bowl. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, Be sure to pass it along to someone you think would enjoy it as well. That is how we're going to continue to grow what we're doing here and connect us with more Packers fans and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.